1: Each or inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy
0: Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown! New
1: Orleans! We'll take you to places most fans never go to practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown! Taysom Hill! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Listeners, welcome Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak. We just dealt with the first Sunday without football of this past season. It was kind of depressing. That's why we are bringing you some great content today. Getting into what's your am up to? I want to talk a little about free agency. Plus, Jeff sat down with the Inside Vikings podcast, right? Locked on Vikings. Locked on Vikings podcast. And maybe not such a pretty picture of Clint Kubiak.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to get into that. Uh, (laughs) Luke Braun from Locked on Vikings. We chatted with him on Friday's episode of Sports Talk. So I have a good chunk of that interview I want to play. Yeah, you know, it's funny because you look around and there's all this, like, high praise for the Saints hiring Clint Kubiak. And I think they, you know, they got their guy. Right. Which, so I think to in that, to that extent, yes, it's a good hire, but you know, it's funny. You, you, you kind of look at that Viking season from, from a 30,000 feet or whatever. And you're yeah. like, Oh, it wasn't that bad. He went eight and nine Kirk Cousins threw for a bunch of yards and a ton of touchdowns. Like it, maybe there must've been something going right. Uh, but he did not give quite a glowing review of that year with Clint Kubiak. So I think there's value in that, like whether he's right or not, I don't know, but like there is some, some, uh, it's a very critical lens that he is looking at that season with. And so I think it's worth hearing at the very least appreciative, I think, because of
1: all, like you said, the outpouring of positivity, and it can't all be great.
2: Yeah, no, I think there's, he he brings up a lot of good points in terms of, you know, and, and, and at the end of the day, it's like, okay, it didn't go perfectly. It didn't go that well. So why, why didn't it and how do you fix that? So I think that's something that we can get dive into a little bit. Um, this first segment. Yeah. I want to talk about Jimmy Graham. He's apparently rowing across the Arctic. So if you were wondering <laughs> if he was still going to try to stay in shape and play football next year, I think this is a pretty good indicator <laughs> that he's got other things on his mind. Um, so we'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about the saints having training camp in Irvine. Uh, it's not yes. a done deal yet, but it's, it's going to happen uh and so we'll talk about that it came out we were a couple days behind on this because it came out i think on thursday which is after we recorded our second pod of last week so we'll we'll dive into it if you already know all about it great but we're going to talk about it regardless and then the final segment i want to first of all break down okay what position should the saints be looking at in free agency like what's the highest priority like last year, it was a find a running back. And so that's why they went hard after Jamal Williams. So we're going to identify like what positions they probably want to spend some time on and then identify a couple players uh, that they could potentially look at, whether it's former Clint Kubiak guys or, or whatever. Uh, we're going to talk about that. But first things first, yeah, Jimmy Graham, all six foot eight of Jimmy Graham is going to be on a four person team. Rowing across the Arctic. And I'm going to read you kind of the write-up from the Saints. Uh, Justin Vlosich from the Saints wrote this up. So just to give him credit, I'm going to read verbatim what he wrote. So Graham, who will serve on the mission as lead navigator, will be one of four rowers united by a passion for adventure. He will be joined by former Navy SEAL Andrew Tropp, who will serve as captain for the mission, former member of Team USA's rowing team, and a New Orleans native Hina huppy who will serve as project manager and former rower for team usa and team switzerland john huppy who will serve as the equipment manager there are, it's also going to be supporting covenant house jimmy graham foundation and Laureus sport for good usa and the crew will host will hold a guinness world record when it's done for the first mixed gendered team to row the arctic ocean they'll also be the first american team to roll across a polar ocean And they'll have a chance to hold the record for the fastest four person team to row across the Arctic Ocean if they complete it in less than 15 days, five hours and 32 minutes. So they are going to be rowing for more than two weeks to and that will be the fastest ever if they can do it in 15 days. So uh, in case you were wondering, uh, this is a pretty intense thing. So the team will row 24 hours a day, alternating in two hour shifts they'll sleep a maximum of 90 minutes at a time. So like while while a team of two is rowing, the other two will be sleeping for for up to 90 minutes. Although so aim to consume 8,000 calories per day and then it'll be daylight the entire time. So like there's no night, you know, it's that time of year where there's just literally no night. Yeah. And so it's just, and it's a big, you know, if you go on Twitter, uh, Alex Restrepo from the Saints kind of tweeted some screenshots and then Dove Kleiman stole them and tweeted them himself. So you might see him there. Uh, it's a big rowing vessel. It's not like a crew vessel. It's like, you know, it's 10 meters long. It's got two cabins and three rowing positions. So like, they will be able to sleep somewhere that isn't like out in the Arctic ocean. Uh, <laughs> it's like exposed to the elements, but yeah. So that's what Jimmy Graham's going to be up to this off season. Uh, so good- I'm looking, this thing's 497 days and counting away right now. Yeah. So they're training, right? Like, right. that's going to be doing it's not like they're going to be out there this week uh, <laughs> he talked about this on a podcast with i think cam jordan earlier this off season, um and just like that's this is what he does this is what jimmy graham does that's why like when he decided to come back it was a it was a big deal because it was like i got a lot of irons in the fire here like he wants to bike he wants to go on these insane bike rides he wants to he wants to ru- sail across the world so it's independent of this like this is rowing he has a he, he lives on a sailboat in miami or at least he had prior to coming to playing for the saints. I don't know what he did with the sailboat while he was here, but like, he's got a big old sailboat. Like his, his ultimate plan is to sail around the world. And so this is just something he's doing to kind of get ready for that. I don't know, but good for Jimmy, you know, it's going to be something that's going to be fun to kind of track over the next year. No. And obviously something super
1: hard. He's doing, he's doing with two members of team USA and a member a former member that was a Navy Navy SEAL. So that's, that's some. Some tough people you're you're working with here. Obviously, I, I'm not jou- doubting Jimmy Graham's conditioning at all, though.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it is funny. Like, you have these, you know, like, yeah, a Navy SEAL and then, like, Team USA rowing members and then, and then Jimmy Graham. <laughs> you know? uh, former NFL tight end, right? Uh, he's got long arms. I'm sure he's you – know, I'm sure that helps in the rowing, you know? He's got man, some maybe that's why the Saints didn't use him so much last year. They were saving him for this. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and it's funny because he hasn't retired yet. Like technically right. he is not retired and you don't have to retire like officially. There's no, you know, I, I think there's eventually like a, a pension that you can collect on or whatever. And, you know, for Jimmy, I think, so I think the only incentive Jimmy would have to officially retire is, I think Jimmy's a Hall of Famer, right? So whenever you retire, I think it's what, five years your official retirement that you can be on the hall of fame ballot something like that don't quote me on that but like so if jimmy wants to get on the hall of fame ballot at a certain point you'll have to retire before that can happen um but you know and and i think jimmy i don't know if he's a first ballot guy but he's gonna be he's definitely in there yeah and i think you know when jimmy recently
1: at the end of the season kind of posted a picture of him and his plane flying away yeah it's, it's you know kind of felt like a goodbye but didn't really come out and say very cryptic as as we like to say but the message seemed to be there like it thanks was for everything while. love you guys i'm out
2: yeah and i think for jimmy it was like it, if he had only caught one pass and it was a touchdown in the superdome all season i think this would have been a successful venture i agree um because i think he just wanted he really wanted that bookend of coming back pay, playing in the superdome catching touchdown you know i think that's part of the reason he wasn't super you know he wasn't like upset about his role or at least not visibly because for this was all gravy for him you know and and the saints they got you know that when their were, saints were playing well they got some production out of him, right when they won a couple games late in the year they were able to get him in the end zone and it was fun those four those three games where they caught touchdowns in a row it was fun so you know while it wasn't what a lot of people might have envisioned you did get some really cool moments for jimmy and i think that's what it was about for him at the end of the day so, you know, if, if he had anything on his bucket list in the NFL in terms, obviously you'd want him in the Super Bowl. That didn't happen. But like, I think coming back to New Orleans was about, was more about the ability to get in there and say thank you to the fans one more time.
1: No, you, and you that, bring you that, that up to play. me, even like, even for the most critical uh, of angry Saints fans after last year, I think Jimmy did bring a lot of, I think brought joy to the Houdat Nation in general.
2: Yeah. And I think we said at the time, like he's not coming back exclusively for a goodbye tour. Like that's not what it's all about, but at the end of the day, that's partially what it was about. And I think now he's, he's happy to go off into retirement with that in mind. And, uh, anyway, so we'll have that, you know, the other thing that's going to be happening a long way from here that we can kind of segue (laughs) into is the saints will be holding their training camp in Irvine. And I don't think that all of the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted quite yet. But for perspective, you know, this is something that I had heard, you know, we talked about this last off season in terms of they're doing construction on the dining hall. It's going to be inconvenient enough, particularly with a 90 man roster in training camp that it just makes sense to go somewhere else. And this isn't about getting out of the area, right? Like they don't, this isn't going to be a long-term thing because they are renovating that facility and they're going to do it. They're doing it for a reason, right? If they were trying to move away for training camp indefinitely, (laughs) they wouldn't be spending all this money to revamp the the facility. Uh, So like, that's, that's, it's not really about getting out of air, but they decided early on that they're probably going to have to go somewhere. And it was really just a question of where Um, we were talking about this in last training camp. We asked Dennis Allen about it. He was kind of mum on the details, but made it pretty clear that this was something that was being considered. And I heard, you know, I heard around like week six or week eight, like mid season, I heard Irvine as the, as the likely target Jeff Duncan reported that that's the front runner. I think he reported that last Thursday, but like, this is not something that came together recently in terms of, you know, this is where the Rams had held training camp previously. They're moving out. They have another facility they're going to go to. So this would be at on the campus of UC Irvine. Uh, It's in the suburbs of LA. Um, The saints were out there last year in Costa Mesa to hold joint practices with the chargers they've held joint practices out in the la area several times they know the area well they know the logistics well so it just made it made sense and i think this time more so than you know like they've held training camp in you know in in places where it was still hot you know and like they went to the Greenbrier. you know if, if anything prevented you from considering going back there or something like that it was like we went seven and nine for the three years they were in the green briar and then they came back and it was 2017 and they had the their best season or they had this great draft and suddenly that kicked off this run of success so yeah i I'm, I'm hope i think the, they're gonna hope to avoid that and i think there's like okay if we're gonna go somewhere for training camp let's make it somewhere where the weather is not going to be an issue and that's what's going to be with in irvine so you know, there's going to be a lot of logistical questions. Uh, right. I don't know if they're going to have open practices. I imagine they'll try to do something for at least anyone who wants to travel out there because uh, it is kind of lame that you're taking the team away from the fans who want to go watch them in camp. And it's going to be a, a logistical questions for us in terms of, you know, what's our coverage plan going to be and, you know, it's going to be very expensive to go out there and cover training camp for three weeks. So that's going to be something that WWL uh, Papa Odyssey has to answer. <laughs> um, and like, and yeah. like you mentioned, I understand fans are a
1: little teed off. Everybody wants to see the team get their early glimpse of them. But like you mentioned, this is because there needs to be they're doing renovations on campus, so the the grounds aren't available right now or aren't going to be available then. So why not get away, make things easier on you? Uh, I am curious to see, though, will there be any point where they do come back from L.A. in that last, I guess, lead up to to the regular season and maybe have two, three practices available for the local fans because it would be a, such a shame just to shut everybody
2: out uh, in Louisiana from training camp uh, this season. Yeah, imagine they'll try to do something. Uh, and I would that's think just so too. One of these questions you have to answer, and and if you're sitting there wondering, go, what, why, why the cafeteria? Why is this an issue? Well, the cafeteria is basically connected to the indoor training facility, and so I think one of the bigger issues is not necessarily the cafeteria and figuring out something there. It is you need the indoor training facility when there's inclement weather or when it's like 98 degrees and dangerous to practice outside, and if you lose that then I think it does become a serious problem. So it's just it's just easier to get away from it. And yeah, I, I am curious to see how they handle it. Because like I said, you know, if I'm, if I'm being critical of this, it's that the last three times you <laughs> went away for training camp was the Greenbrier from 2014 to 2016. And that coincided with three seven and nine seasons. So it clearly was not helping you, at least not in the sense of like directly connecting to better results in the season. So hopefully they've figured out, you know, ho- hopefully that wasn't the reason. Hopefully the the training camp experience was not lessened in terms of installing the offense and getting everyone ready from being away. And it was just kind of a, uh, you know, that's the correlation isn't causation kind of situation, right? But I mean, <laughs> it is a, that is a pretty damning three seasons. If you're, if you're wondering whether they would be better off somewhere else. I, I wonder, was there ever...
1: Obviously, we won't know unless we get a chance to ask Dennis Allen. Was there ever a consideration to go back to the Greenbrier because that whole area there they they made into NFL training camp central, and I know a few teams have have used it, yeah. and I just don't know the availability. Obviously, for the the 2024 season.
2: Yeah, I don't know the availability either, but I think they I think they zeroed in on on, on California pretty right, early. I'm on. sure the West Virginia been
1: there, done that. It wasn't successful. Plus, that was a Sean thing. You don't want to do something that Sean did.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I just I think they I think they are very comfortable with the L.A. area in terms of how they can manage it. The other thing that Jeff reported that makes sense is so this year this is one of those years where the Saints have two road preseason games and one home preseason game, and so it sounds like based on Jeff's reporting that the idea will be the first two preseasons games will be the road games, and both of those will be out west somewhere. Like in maybe, maybe Arizona or Seattle, like it's not going to be the Patriots, right? Like you're not going to have them travel cross country to play a preseason game and you're not going to have them travel home midway through camp to play a preseason game and then travel back out West, right? Right. So I think the NFL is going to work with them to some extent to make sure that to make that travel reasonable. So I, but I think it, it does kind of mean, okay, so the finale will be the home preseason game and we'll have to, we'll figure that out because those first two preseason games are like smack dab in camp. Like it's not, it's like the last preseason game is like the last day before that open week. And so yeah. you'll pretty much be done with camp by that point anyway. So I imagine they will be back. So maybe that's going to be the week or they maybe throw a couple open practices in many right. camp, I think are still going to be at the saints facility. So we'll still get that. And I don't know if any OTAs, I think there's usually one OTA open to the public. I can't remember.
1: Yeah, I don't, maybe not. with with the OTAs, I'm not,
2: I don't think the public gets to see any of that, honestly. Yeah, you know, maybe I'm thinking of, like, season ticket holders. I think sometimes they'll... Maybe they might be, right. They'll do, they won't do a full open practice, but maybe they do this time. Maybe that's how they help uh, the the fans get some... But you know all those uh, secrets
1: that were revealed
2: during OTAs that we see? Those should be open. Like, what are you doing during OTAs, right? <laughs> nothing. A whole lot of nothing. <laughs> and and half the, like, the the veterans aren't even there half the time, so, like... It's just – well, because remember, they used to do, like, practices at Tulane, right? Like, I, I, it wasn't that long ago that you had to practice at Yelman Stadium. And uh, they haven't done the celebrity so- – or not celebrity, but the softball game. Remember they used to do the softball game? Right, exactly. They haven't done that the last couple of years. That, that ended during COVID, and it never came back. So, I don't know. maybe that, Maybe that that's always, something that you'll return.
1: That always was something fun. Obviously, fans love that. And for us, the access was unbelievable
2: when you're just able to hang out in the dugout with players. Yeah, I enjoyed that. That was fun. So maybe, the, maybe like I think that's going to be a focus this off season is since training camp won't be here and the fans won't at least not fans that can't afford to travel out to LA on a whim. Yeah, uh, since they won't be able to like be a part of it, I wouldn't be surprised if you do see more community engagement things crop up like that to kind of you know fix some of that. That's all I got. You Anything else you want to add on that subject before we go to the next segment?
1: No, but uh, definitely looking forward to spending time out west uh, for for training camp. It'll be, like you said, a lot cooler because, man, this past one, the sun was brutal. It's
2: ridiculous. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, it's really not going to be that... You know, we did spend a week out there for this last training camp. So, it's like, right. instead of a week, it's three weeks, right? Like, or whatever, however many days a uh, training <laughs> camp is. So, it's not... It's really not that much more significant. But it is just a long time to be in a hotel, and, and I and I understand why the team doesn't mind doing it because, like during training camp, the mo- I, I think I think the the at least everyone other than veterans stays in a hotel, like they're not going back and forth from their condos and stuff. So like the yeah. idea is to kind of sequester the team somewhere where it can be all about football, and like I know that's why Sean liked the idea of going to the Greenbrier. Because it's just you don't have any distractions. It's all it's all install and football and, and drills, you know, there's no kids there, you know, <laughs> like uh and I and I'm sure that's why some players would be like, Well, this is kind of like I don't want to be away from my kids for three weeks or whatever, but you know, this or some are saying, Please take me away. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, even if they're saying that to their watch, like, Oh yeah, my gosh, Man, I don't want to believe first. it. <laughs> then they get up like, Yeah, hey,
1: freedom. <laughs> and and granted, the this time around. Los
2: Angeles area, a lot better to stay around than West Virginia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can get more than like Subway sandwiches and shit. Yes. Uh, but all right, this is Inside Black and Gold. Let's wrap up this segment. We're going to come back. We're going to talk. We're going to hear from Luke Braun, host of Lockdown Vikings, talking about Clint Kubiak, Rick Dennison, Andrew Giannico, uh guys who were there in 2021, all worked together, all led that offense. So... I thought it was just some good insight so we'll listen to that then we're going to come back to the final segment and talk about free agency some players to look at some positions of need and free agency and all that good stuff but thanks everyone for listening if you haven't subscribed yet please do that check us out on YouTube at WWL Sports. check out the latest news notes and analysis at WWL.com and uh, Steve hosts Sports Talk Monday through Friday uh, and uh, you should check that out WWL AM 870 FM 105.3 and on the Odyssey app where you can also find this podcast so download that too Yeah, I'm asking you to do a whole lot of things but if you do one of them I will be uh, in your debt. All right. We'll be right back. (laughs) And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He is Steve Geller. In this segment, we're going to dive in a bit more on... Clint Kubiak, more specifically, Clint Kubiak, Andrew Junoko, Rick Dennison, Clancy Barone was there prior to 2021, but he was gone by that point. So they did cross paths, but they're not there yet. And we don't have a, you know, there's a few more hires that do need to happen. As of recording this podcast, we don't know them yet. I would be surprised if we don't get a couple more names coming in this week. Um, and so hopefully by Wednesday, when we record the second episode of this week, we'll have some of those names. Uh, Keith Williams is, is, had interviewed a former Ravens assistant, or I think he's a current Ravens assistant, uh, for the wide receivers coach position. I think that was Nick Underhill who reported that. So that's a name that to watch in terms of maybe that's the next one that comes out. But either way, you still need, you know, because I, I think Rick Dennison is coming in as the run game coordinator. It doesn't sound like he's coming in as the running backs coach. Now, it's tough to say right now what his actual title will be. But if that's the case, then you do still need to hire a running backs coach. John Benton is supposed to be the offensive line coach. is the longtime coach in the NFL. Uh, very high praise from people who talk about him. Mike Datier is a big fan of his. Um and I don't think Mike Datilier was a particularly big fan of Doug Marone. So you know he's not he's not, not afraid to 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 critique some some coaching. And then obviously Andrew Janoko is Janoko G- Janako. I don't know. I, I need to figure out how to say his name correctly. But he's going to be the quarterbacks coach. And I think there was one more. Oh, Clancy Brown's going to stick around as the tight ends coach. And and then Clint Kubiak. So yeah, everything from I've seen to or heard, I guess I'd say should say is Janoko So you're right. Yeah. So I, I don't know. We'll we'll find out. But either way, you know, and and this kind of goes back to what I was saying is, it, it's people are looking at. Kubiak coming from the Kyle Shanahan scheme. And I've said this a few times. People are kind of talking about it like, okay, it's just going to be a clone of the 49ers offense. He's going to come in. He's going to do all these things. Like Alvin Kamara is going to be the Christian McCaffrey and Taysom Hill is going to be whatever. And I don't know. Like, I think, I think there, people are underestimating the influence that the Vikings year and and what he learned as a member of the vikings and on and gary kubiak who installed that offense and he took it over from him how how he's going to marry those two things together like i think it's going to be kyle shanahan elements and there's going to be some stuff that he picked up in denver right but it's all going to be it's all going to be combined into this new offense and it's not just going to be as simple as saying well this is how kyle did it i'm going to do it that way this is how gary did it i'm going to do it that way like clint needs to build his own offense And so that's what I wanted to talk to Luke Braun about. He's the host of Lockdown Vikings. He was covering the team in 2021. So I figured it would just be a good, a good way to get some insight into how they felt, how the Vikings felt about that season, right? Like, because I'm sure, like, if you went out, if you went on a podcast with the Broncos and they were like, oh, tell me about Pete Carmichael. And everyone there is like, wow, we're reuniting Pete Carmichael with Sean Payton. They had all these great years together. It's gonna be a dream. And you're like, yeah, well, Pete kind of sucked here (laughs) you know and and it's not like that's kind of mean but like he as the offensive coordinator he was flailing right and so it kind of does feel similar to that right so that's why and I think but I think that's important because you're going to hear a lot of a lot of positivity around Clint as there should be but there's also you know some things we need to talk about uh and so let's listen to That interview with uh with luke braun and uh and we'll we'll talk about it when it's done you know i was going through a few of luke's old podcasts talking about Clint kubiak and some of the hires and uh my favorite thing luke is your intro because you say and the kid you copied off in math class uh so i have to ask are are you a math wizard is that what's going on or are you just easy to cheat off of Uh,
0: i was easy to cheat i was always okay with you if you (laughs) cheated off me because i figured you're probably learning something anyways um, that's actually that's not the tagline anymore. Oh, okay now we uh, now we try to learn something new every day. That's the deal because I, I think I've kind of moved away from the the like math based analysis stuff. It's still there. It's still useful, I still use it, but I'm uh, a little more active than O's now.
2: Gotcha. Well, yeah, and Luke, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on here is, uh, you know, there's really it's tough to get a lot of information about Clint Kubiak over the last 2 years mm-hmm. where he was a quarterbacks coach in Denver and then he was the pass game specialist I don't even know what that technically means in San Francisco very behind the scenes at the at the least but you go back to Minnesota and you know I've been watching old Clint Kubiak interviews you can really kind of dive in to what his offense did over the course of the season I'm just curious you know what were your kind of uh, opinions of Clint in that job what were your takeaways how did you feel he handled it
0: very um, green. Yeah, I mean, that was his first time calling plays. That was his first time going. He, was, he had one year as a quarterback's coach. He was basically an offensive assistant otherwise. He was very green. He was working with an offense that Gary Kubiak had installed and then, re, you know, run for two years and then retired. And he was basically flying a, a plane that he didn't build, which I, I'll be honest with you. The, the offense that the Saints have gotten all their staffers from is Denison, Janoko, Kubiak, Trio was really bad. It was was a terrible offense. And who you blame for that is going to kind of inform your opinion. Maybe you think that it's just because Mike Zimmer stifled all these great offensive minds. But really what it turned into was a – the Vikings had a pretty big offensive line problem for that couple of years. And um, that was, by the way, Rick Dennison as a line coach, although he wasn't really present in 2021 for vaccine reasons. He wasn't allowed to be in the building because he wouldn't take the shot. So that was a whole controversy. Um, and then he, you know, guess he leaves when everybody gets fired at the end of the, at the end of 2021. Um, but th- there were issues on the offensive line in particular in pass protection. And so the Vikings relied a ton on quick game, three-step drop, one-step drop, throw fast, try to get the ball into, you know, you know, Dalvin Cook's hands quick, Adam Thielen's hands quick, trying to get things to, uh, Justin Jefferson deep when you have a shot play and that kind of thing. And and Jefferson had a phenomenal year in 2021 kind of being the payoff to all of this quick game setup. But it meant that it was a very, um, it, it was it was a boring offense, except when you were going to Jefferson. So the, the narrative kind of became, why don't we make the whole plane out of Justin Jefferson? Which I think you can kind of ask anybody and understand why that wouldn't work. But it was, um, they were trying to be very, you know, quick and easy four yards a pop in their pass game and then kind of live in the run behind Alvin Cook because they felt like, you know, that line was going to be better at run blocking than it was at pass blocking, which is very, very true. Um, but what what that ended up making for was this sort of critical lack of diversity. And that's kind of a Gary Kubiak thing, like on purpose. You'll see uh, Kevin Stefanski do that, who also learned under Kubiak. You'll see him do that in, in Cleveland, which is very like... We have four things on our menu, and, and they're all delicious, you know. If you ever go to a restaurant and you see four things on the menu, you know every single one of them is fantastic. Kind of that deal, where we can just execute these things so well that we don't really care if you know that it's coming or not. Um, but then the Vikings weren't that good at executing, and they weren't that well coached So on, on the offensive side of the ball. And that was under Clint Kubiak, and then with Junoko at quarterbacks and, and Dennison zooming in sometimes <laughs> on Wednesday meetings. Uh, that was just not a very well-coached offense, and everybody kind of got canned. Now, what I'll say is guys like Janoko and Kubiak that are young have gone away and probably learned a lot in two years. Like, I would imagine that spending a year on Kyle Shanahan's offense could change a lot about what Clint Kubiak thinks is good or isn't good. So I'm actually super curious to see what kind of strategies he tries to deploy with, with Derek Carr or whoever.
2: Yeah, so I, I think you know just to kind of infer I guess you kind of said it if if the Clint Kubiak that was in Minnesota shows up in New Orleans like the doing the same things and with the same philosophies you you think that would be a a bad thing for the Saints you you want to see a guy who has spent those two years in lesser roles and has learned from some of these coaches some of these systems
0: I, I'll, I'll reframe it I think it would be really important to be a very mistake free team. And that could potentially paper over deficiencies in talent. I think that's really the philosophy there is if we do the same thing over and over and we're very sound and we don't s anything up, then it probably doesn't matter that these guys, you know, that, that my guy didn't run the best 40 or whatever, but looking at who the saints have, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the way to go. I would look in particular in the run game and to see what, what the saints want to do with that. Cause they'll probably be a zone run game guy goes from, you know, learning under Gary Kubiak, who's like the offensive coordinator of those old Broncos teams. And, you know, the, in, in the father land of, of wide zone, and then goes into Shanahan, who's the father of modern wide zone stuff. So I'm sure he's got a lot of zone stuff. And and what I'd be curious to see is how much you see out of, you know, fullbacks or extra tight end, what he does with Taysom Hill will be very interesting. It's Taysom Hill a fullback now a tight end, some of both. I'd be very curious to see if you get a little bit more diversity and then you don't have to be the team that isn't allowed to make any mistakes because everybody we have is, you know, because our guard is just going to get killed if we ever ask him to do anything real.
2: (laughs) Gotcha. You know, my other question I think if you wanna look at a player comparable to Derek Carr, I think Kirk Cousins is is a fair comparison, at least in today's NFL with, you know, a decade of experience, has has never really had a ton of success in the playoffs, but puts up a bunch of yards. And you look at that twenty twenty one season sure. and if you just look at the numbers, it does seem like the Clint Kubiak offense did work for Kirk. I think it was forty two hundred yards, thirty three touchdowns, seven interceptions. What were your kind of opinions on how Kirk worked with Clint?
0: So, unfortunately, it was very inconsistent, which I just kind of described why that's not very acceptable. And that's why the Vikings ended up, what was it, 8-9 and that year? Yeah. And and out of the playoffs. So, it was inconsistent. There were a couple of games where he was just on fire. If you really want to watch that offense home, watch the game at L.A. And then the home game right after it uh, against Green Bay. Those two games were absolutely phenomenal. And it felt like, oh, my God, they're finally figuring it out. But then by the end of the season, they had kind of fallen back down. There are a couple of games in there, um, in particular, one where the Vikings lost to the Cowboys against Cooper Rush, where that offense was just anemic. They could not move the ball at all. And they made all kinds of mistakes, and they just – so it was a week-to-week proposition for sure. um, But there were a lot of, you know, shot plays to Justin Jefferson, and suddenly JJ is putting up 200 a game sometimes, and it's pretty easy to rack up some yards that way. But I, there's a lot of reasons to caution against saying, hmm, 4,200 yards must have been a good offense. Uh, and part of it is that, you know, if if you have eight really great games and eight really bad games, you can get 4,000 yards, but did you have a good season? Plus, there's a, a lot of statistical reasons that total yards just aren't the best thing, but I won't bore you with that.
2: Yeah, and thanks again for to Luke Braun for coming on. And I mean, again, well, like we said going in, some pretty critical analysis there of, you know, the the trio that we're talking about, which is... Clint Kubiak, Andrew Janocco as quarterback's coach, and Rick Dennison as senior offensive assistant, consultant, whatever. The, The issue there is he refused to take the vaccine back in 2021, and the NFL had a lot of rules at that point about what you could do if you were vaccinated versus what you could do if you were unvaccinated. And so basically he was taken out of a role where he had direct contact with the team. Right, and and like you can you can debate that all day long. It's what happened, um, and so it's hard to really figure out what his role was or was supposed to be with that team. But it was not as expansive as they initially planned. Like w- we listened to an interview with Kubiak in the last episode where he talked about how he was looking forward to working with Rick specifically because he's this veteran NFL mind. He's well respected. Um, I think he was the offensive line coach prior to that. So I think that's where you kind of have Rick Dennison coming in to be like the running backs wizard slash offensive like to help get the running game going is 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 what you're hoping for with Rick and that is something that the Vikings really relied on heavily with Dalvin cook in this in this offense now the the quote that I will point to that I think he's Lucas spot on with is, that Clint was flying a plane that he didn't build. And I think that's a great way to put it because when Clint took over the Vikings offense, Gary Kubiak had installed it. Gary Kubiak had drilled it. It was Gary's offense. And Clint was just kind of watching and learning how to run it. And when he took it over, he was coaching this offense, this installed offense, game plan, whatever. But I don't think he necessarily understood it at its core. And when you're, you know, it's like, for example, it's like, you're flying a plane you didn't build. We'll stick with that. Well, what happens when the plane starts to break? How are you going to fix something that you didn't put together in the first place? You don't understand how the pieces fit together. So how can you fix it? And I think that's what fell apart inevitably with Clint. The other thing he pointed to is it's a very small menu. And, you know, I think that's something that is interesting. And when we talk about, okay, what are the influences going to be between the Vikings and the, and the Gary Kubiak scheme and and now the Kyle Shanahan scheme, which, is this massive offense and all of these plays and like, wh- where do you kind of split the difference there? Cause if you're comfortable with a small menu and precision, that is, that's your basis is we don't do it. We don't do this crazy amount of stuff. We don't have this massive game plan, but we nail our game plan and we do these, like you said, these four things, but we do them at an exceptionally high level. Now, what Luke said is they didn't do things at an exceptionally high level. And that's where you struggled because your plan was to execute people to death. And then the execution wasn't very good. And it wasn't well-coached offense. And maybe COVID had something to do with that. Maybe the limited practice time had something to do with that. Either way, these are the things that as you look at Clint and you say, okay, what is he going to bring in? How is he going to install this offense? I think those are the things that you're concerned with. If he shows up and does not have kind of that handle on things, the way that, he, you would if as luke explains it he did not in 2021 with the vikings
1: yeah i appreciate just a different point of view cuz i mentioned it's like you don't want to keep hearing from everybody oh it's such a wonderful hire great guy this and that so obviously there there were some issues but that that year in minnesota the offense wasn't completely a cluster bomb kind of thing it it, it was productive they were 2001 what put up 25 points a game in the top half of the the, the league, at least, in points scored. So it wasn't like a complete uh, failure, I would say, with the Vikings.
2: Yeah, you know, and in, in th- that was the other thing he talked about when I yeah, yeah, I asked him about Kirk Cousins, right, in the 2021 yeah. Kirk Cousins season. 4,200 yards, 33 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. You know, it sounds, you know, it's, it's like, oh, that's a pretty good season. But I kind of almost look at it like Derek Carr's season this year. Okay. Right where you look at it and you say, yeah, the numbers at the end of the year looked solid, but is it a product of being consistent and having a good season or is it a product of having eight good games and eight bad games? So that's what that's what Luke said is it was like, you know, you would have these really good games, but you also had a game uh you had a win over the Bears where he went 12 of 24 for 87 yards, <laughs> you know? Uh, you had you had another game you know, a ball, an overtime loss to the Ravens. He completed sixty percent of his passes for one hundred eighty-seven yards and two touchdowns. You lost that game. The next week, one hundred eighty-four yards and a touchdown. And a loss to the Cowboys. The Cooper Rushside Cowboys. You lost that game. Then the next week, an OT win over the Panthers. He threw for he threw well forty-eight times, three hundred seventy-three yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. You know the the end of the season or the end of the end of Kirk's seasons. I think he missed one game here. You had. Uh, kind of the same as you had Derek this year. So, like, he made his season look a lot better with first three games on his list. He started really well. So, two two losses, but 351 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 244 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, 323 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, right? That Panthers game is another one. So, but in between that, you had really sketchy games, so it's it's it is it was a lack of consistency that really did that team in, and you can get lost in the in the overall numbers and say yeah. and lose that perspective. And it's the same thing with Derek Carr, right? You look at Derek Carr's final numbers this year, and you would say, well, he had a solid season. So why are we complaining so much? It's because there was a run in the middle of the season that hit the inconsistency at the quarterback position was, if not costing you games, making it much more difficult for you to win games. You look at The loss to the Texans, where you really did nothing in the first half. The loss to the Jaguars, where you really did nothing in the first half. The loss to the Lions, where, you know, obviously there was that turnover and that wasn't necessarily on Derek Carr, but you also had three straight three and outs after that turnover, right? The game, the one over the Titans, right? You did nothing in the first half. The one against the Panthers, you really did nothing in the first half. Against the Falcons, you moved the ball, but you threw a key interception in the first half. So, And it was a pick six, right? So, like, there were... Like you can, you can look at the numbers and kind of get blinded to the fact that it's like, yeah, there were some really good games, but there were also some, you know, just come on guy. Like you, you need consistency out of a veteran quarterback. And I don't think you got that out of Kirk in 2021. And I don't think you got that out of Derek in 2023. So as much as you want to look at it and say, well, he did tease a very good statistical season out of Kirk Cousins. You would look at that and say, well, I need the, I need the like the the ceiling is great, but the floor is too low. Like I need a baseline of much more consistent quarterback play. And so hopefully you're able to get that this time around. And, and yeah. And I think the other thing is you ended up, that offense ended up being so much about throw it to Justin Jefferson, you know? And I think that's part of the reason Kirk's numbers did end up seeming a little inflated because yeah, he was throwing to Justin Jefferson constantly.
1: What I'm curious too, uh, you know, with the Saints, even you mentioned which stats, uh, h- how did this Saints squad end up with the ninth best scoring offense this past season? It, it seems to blow my mind. I just don't get it. And even with that nice run they did have at the end of the year, I didn't think they'd be elevated that highly uh, come the
2: when you look at the end of season numbers. I mean, they dropped 48 points in the final game of the season. That helps. Yeah, I guess so. Right. Well, I mean, they work pretty consistently in the 20s, right? And I think, you know, uh, but like, again, like if one stat I would love to see is like, if you were able to break down the top scoring offense from first half and second half, because in in terms of games, right? So like, I now I, I could go do this. It would take forever. I'm sure someone statistically would be able to call this a lot faster than me. But I assure you that if you looked at, the top scoring first half offenses, the Saints would be toward the bottom. Right. And if you looked at the top scoring second half offenses, the Saints would be toward the top. And now that's not necessarily a bad thing that you are more effective in the second half, but in 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 many instances, it's because you're behind and you're playing from behind. And so you have to put up points and you have to put up yards and you have to throw the ball all over the yard. And, and the Saints were really good at coming back in games, but, they weren't good at getting out ahead in games. And like we talked about in the last episode, you know the opening script thing, the first 15 plays. If you're better in that part of the game and you are a good second half team, then that's a that's a recipe to win double digit 11, 12 games, right? Being bad in the first half and then being constantly forced to rally and roll a boulder up a hill. And sometimes you get it over the top and a lot of times it rolls back down on you. That's how you end up eight and nine, nine and eight, right? Like that's why that's how you end up mired in that middle of the road, just hoping to win tiebreakers to get in situation because you will inevitably have bad luck. And the example of that is in Green Bay. That's a game you should have won, but that's terrible luck. Right. You lost your quarterback early in the third quarter. You had these long pass interference penalties you know, Jordan Love got hot at the end of the game and you lost. Like, like that's just going to happen. You're going to have games that get away from you because of bad luck, because of a bad call, because of a bad turnover. They really had no control over. The ball tips off somebody's hands. Jawan Johnson against the Lions. Like, those types of things happen. You can't say, well, if those didn't happen, we would have been better because in any NFL season, you have to bake in those types of bad luck situations. And if you're constantly having to play perfect, and those battle luck situations are going to swing results because you didn't give yourself enough margin for error, then that's on you. And I think that's what happened with the saints this year. Like that, the game against the Packers, they were up 17, nothing in the fourth quarter and they blew that lead. They should have been up more than that, right? They should have been up 20, 24, nothing. And if you are, you win that game. So yeah, I, I don't know if that answers your question, or I, I'm not even sure what the question was at this point. But I think that's that's the thing that you need to see is consistency, particularly early in games, and it's the scoring scoring offense is what you're talking about.
1: No, totally agree. And I think I forget who you had the conversation with in the locker room. It was like, oh yeah, you know, sometimes at the half we really start getting into conversations, and the uh, you know can get heated. You know, words are said. Get guys stay a little. It might have been Tyron Matthew. It was that Tyron. said. You know, yeah. You, you get things get, you know, a little tense and people end up responding in the second half. It's like, well, can you have those harsh words before the game starts to maybe fire everybody up? I don't know.
2: Right. Where's that urgency? But, but to me, that was more of a defensive issue in terms of starting fast. I think the offense was a different issue and it was a lot more schematic and it was a lot more uh, kind of being the aggressor and being, in the right situations and on the right foot. And like, as you get, as you get through the game, the ability to adjust is great. Like the ability to adjust and say, this is how they're defending us. We need to do this and this and this better. But like, why aren't you going into the game with that type of information? <laughs> you do, you know? and,
1: remember, do you recall what was the game we visibly saw Derek Carr kind of throw his
2: hissy fit? Well, there was two. So one was in Houston and that was the one he yelled at Pete Carmichael. These are back backpack weeks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, the next one when he kind of got on Olave. They were within a week of each other. Okay. Right? So one was Sunday in Houston, and then the next one was Thursday in Jackson, against Jacksonville at home. Yeah. And so the first one was, it was late in the game. He came off the field. He was yelling. He said he wasn't yelling at Pete. He was yelling in the direction of Pete, whatever that means. <laughs> you know, uh, either way, it was not a good look. And that was – so it's funny because that was more of a social media thing. I don't think that was actually on the broadcast, but that was tweeted and there was a video okay. that circulated um and we never heard what he was saying it was hard to kind of even like lip read because it was a cell phone video from the stands the next week was against the Jaguars and it was the play that Chris Olave. I think he was supposed to be running a clear out he kind of ran it I don't know I wouldn't say half speed but it wasn't full speed right it wasn't like he was he was selling it and Derek got pissed off and and yelled at him uh threw the ball out of bounds and then that was the that was the play that Mike Thomas that was the that was the initial play that prompted Mike Thomas first first right Twitter jab at Derek Carr yeah now, there have been several since then but that was the <laughs> impetus for the first one and yeah and I think that was that yeah anyway there was just some tough times in the early goings yeah there were some ugliness. to say the least in that season and I think it got away from people and that's why you ended up firing Cody Burns and. You know, whether you have a whole new you're gonna have a whole new offensive staff, because I think it got away from uh, from people, and that's gonna be something Derek Carr needs to figure out. It's gonna be something Chris Olave needs to figure out. It did seem like they got on the same wavelength as the season went on. It didn't seem like something that festered between them at least. Right. It, it never carried on. on. It did seem like something that festered between Derek and Mike, but it didn't seem like something that festered between Derek and Chris. And that's what I would be more worried about in terms of, okay, this next season coming up. Because it did, it did seem like those guys got, got back on the same page and were pulling the same direction. and that You're going to need that. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, hopefully we see a lot, I don't want to say, uh, a better oil, well oiled machine next year with this offense because there were just a lot of times I, I didn't understand between the play calling or, or uh, didn't understand uh, execution didn't it fell through, kind of thing. It was uh, overall, it was just a a big lump of, you know, big reason why Carmichael we've we've talked about isn't around anymore. Things weren't smooth here, and best of luck in Denver to him as
2: uh, Sean's uh, right hand man again, I guess. Agreed. And based on you know, if you if you want to take what Luke said, speaking for Vikings reporters, analysts, whatever, it sounds like they have the same uh they would say the same thing about the clink 2021 experience gotcha yeah so take that for what it is you know i like all i can do is to give you that information i'm not telling you he's right or wrong i'm just saying this is his what he observed and what he believes about that offense and you know we'll see how it pans out but either way thanks luke for for coming on check him out uh Luke Braun on Lockdown Vikings. I don't know if you really, really want to hear about Justin Jefferson or whatever anything like this. I don't, I don't know. Who knows <laughs> if they're able to bring him back? Yeah, it's going to be a question. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be between you know him and Kirk, right? That's a that's another situation that is like I think that Justin supports Kirk, but you know how much does he support Kirk? <laughs> you know, because um, that's been his quarterback his entire career. So and he's no this and. They've, they've done some really good things together.
1: Yeah, and this has been, uh, so far at least, to me, a rough offseason leading up to the draft and free agency for Saints fans just because I'm hearing everything from Justin Fields, Kirk Cousins, and even Jaden Daniels as possible quarterback options in Atlanta. And I don't like
2: any of that for Saints fans, obviously. Nope. Nope. Well, we'll see. But all right, let's wrap up this thing. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about some free agency stuff. Uh, we've identified a few players that we would be interested in looking at if we were, you know, if we're, if, we're, if we're in Saints, if we're on airline, like writing down a few names of like, yeah, let's take a look at this guy. Like, That's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about those guys, you know, and break down some positions that, that, we sh- that the Saints should probably target at the very least, whether it be free agency or the draft uh, to address. So this is Inside Black and Gold. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't done that already. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow Steve at Steve Geller, WWL. And, of course, ring the bell on YouTube at WWL Sports. We will be right back. Back on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He is Steve Geller. We're going to run through some free agency talk. But first, you know, it's that time of year, Steve. It is officially that time of year where all the salary cap nerds wring their hands and talk about how, oh my gosh, the Saints, how can they keep doing this? They're just kicking the can down the road. They're not gonna be able to sign free agents. They're gonna, they're paying Taysom Hill how much? Oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> and then we, we, you know, three months from now, it'll be like, well, I guess, okay, we'll worry about this next year. And we'll have the same conversation then. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I've, I've already gone on my cap rant. And, and I, you know, I asked people to give me examples of where the cap has murdered the Saints and why where they could be better and no one, you know, that's, that's the thing is everyone's willing to have these cap takes, but they're never willing to go far enough down the rabbit hole to pay off their take of like, well, what, wh- wh- where would they be better if they manage the cap differently? It's always like, Oh my gosh, how can they possibly feel a good team? If they have a $15 million <laughs> for Taysom Hill? I don't know. That was the first time we did that voice. I'm going to go back to it. at some Um,
1: I thought you are just going to cue like an, uh, what's his name? Nick, uh,
2: Nick right? No, Nick it's Wright. not even him. It's, you know, cause he doesn't really get into the math so much. He just talks about it from a, from an emotional perspective. And it's like, whatever, I don't even care. But like, it's like Warren sharp and these cap nerds that they just want their list to make sense. And they can't figure it. it's like, Oh, well, they can't possibly sign a quarterback. And then they do. And then it's like, whatever, but you know, it, and it always comes up and it's like, you're having the wrong conversation. And you're making it out as if the reason the Saints have struggled over the last two years is because they haven't been able to sign free agents and they haven't been able to retain their own guys. And it's like, that's not why they've struggled. They haven't missed draft picks because of the salary cap. That's not why they've missed draft picks. That's not why, you know, Jamal Williams shows up and is a shell of himself, right? Like that's, that's, you paid Jamal Williams. It's not like, anyway, it's, it's. It's not the conversation we need to have. We're going to have a free agency conversation that is not about the cap because the cap is not going to be what prevents the Saints from signing free agents anyway. Now, it might prevent them from signing the big name free. It might prevent them from you know, resetting the market to sign whoever because they get into a bidding war for Mike Evans. And I would say that's probably a good thing because you look at free agents in a, in a majority of the time, when you look at these major high-priced free agent signings, in the long run, it's shown to be a mistake. Like, look at the Giants with Olivier Vernon and Janoris Jenkins and Damon Harrison. They had one playoff appearance, and then those players were all on another team, and the GM had been fired two years later. Like, in most cases, a, a team going all in to sign a free agent is is more about a GM trying to save his job than it is actually making a smart, fiscally – prudent decision so we're not gonna talk about that even though we're talking about it we're gonna talk about free agency and we're gonna talk about what positions do you see as the most important like last year you needed a running back you went for Jamal Wayne you needed to rebuild your defensive interior so you signed Nathan Shepard Colin Saunders you know these are not not bottom of the barrel signings they're middle of the road signings you know you talk of three years 12 million whatever so what are those positions for you this year that you think the Saints should be looking at because like you you don't need to rebuild the defensive interior this year. You have those pieces still in place. You still have pieces at the the end. I think the defensive line isn't necessarily the mission-critical position that it was last year. So what are those positions for you this year? Mission-critical, though, is the offensive line for me. Uh, looking for a
1: tackle. I know uh, actually today the Patriots have to sign till, to, to sign Trent Brown to an extension or else he'll will be a free agent. And I don't see that happening for the Pats. Uh, A guy that will be 31 in April, uh, kind of rough year ago uh, ago last season. I think they tried to switch positions on him. Uh, He can play left or right tackle, uh, but just someone that looks to be in need of a fresh start. And he does have experience having played with Derek Carr previously with the Raiders. So he was someone that I kind of locked in immediately on for free agency. And then, uh, honestly, I was thinking about backup quarterback as a need and as crazy as that sounds uh you think about it i don't believe Jameis winston will be around uh for next year there's still a lot of questions about jay Kaner. he could be the backup but i'm also not quite sure if he can be either uh so a guy like sam Darnold, who has experience with Clint kubiak this past season with the 49ers kind of Rang to me as an inexpensive option that that you could bring in and definitely turn to if worst case scenario something were to happen to Derek Carr.
2: Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, uh, you know, Trent Brown is interesting. I do, it, it, I do think that a guy who can play, who can be a swing tackle, right? Right. There's value there, and uh, it's a question of okay, how much you like James Hurst? Do you want to move on from James Hurst? You could save some money against the cap if you if you moved on from him, and maybe you do try to find somebody who maybe a little cheaper or maybe a bit more productive. I don't know. Um, but no, the, the, the offensive line is going to be something that whether it's addressed through the draft or free agency, you're going to have both. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And or both. Right. So <laughs> I think that's a good one. And there's going to be, there's several names we could look at. I think Trent Brown yeah. is a good name. The quarterback position is interesting because I don't think you're questioning the starter. Like right. the saints are at least uh, like Derek Carr is going to be that top guy, but who's behind him now. I think the saints like Jake Haner, So, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up going into the season as the backup. That said, I don't think you're going to go into training camp with just two quarterbacks. Right. So and not, and not putting Taysom in that mix either, right? Yeah, no, Taysom is not the the backup quarterback conversation. You know, right? He's good. an emergency quarterback, and you like to have that. But I do think you're going to want to have three kind of QB proper guys. You know, not not guys who are going to be working a tight end or learning different roles in the offense. They're going to be quarterbacks. And so, yeah, I do think you're probably going to look at a veteran and Sam Darnold would make a lot of sense. Uh, so I think that's a good name. Now I wouldn't be surprised if they bring in Sam Darnold and then end up going with Jay Kahner and throwing right. Sam that Darnold totally to the practice happen, squad right. for the season, because I do think they like Jake Kahner. I don't think this is a situation where you saw him for a year and you're like, Oh no, yeah, he's, he's not it. You know, Ian right. book, right? Like I think they were ready to move on from Ian book. Knew right think, away. I was like, uh-uh. Yeah. I don't think that's the case with Jake. So, uh, but I do think that you do want a veteran, particular, and if you can, and if you can kind of double up on that veteran and make it a guy who can come in and help install with right. it, that kind of understands how Clint Kubiak operates. I think that's, that, that would be a good option. So I think, I think that's a good name. I haven't heard that name thrown around that much, but I think it's a good one. So for me, I, I look at a few other positions. Um, one, I need a I need a blocking wide receiver. And you know, it's funny because everyone's everyone when, when they moved on from Traquan Smith, was like, finally, they finally got rid of Traquan Smith. He's not productive enough. Whatever. Well, you know where this team really freaking struggled for a big chunk of this past season? It was finding a wide receiver who could block on the edge. Tell and the everyone truth, everyone right? likes to talk about it and say well, where are the big run plays? Why don't we have any big run plays? You know how you get to a big run play? You know how you get to the third level of a defense? You have to get past the second level of a defense. And you know how you do that? The wide receivers freaking block a guy. You know, and and one of, the, one of the major luxuries that the Saints had during the heyday of Michael Thomas, so like through 2019, your star wide receiver was also this big hulking behemoth of a man who could go and block? He was one of the better blocking wide receivers in in the NFL. It was not it was not something that people talked about particularly much because he was such an elite wide receiver or a catcher of footballs. But you didn't have to worry about. Okay, we have to change personnel because we have a we have an outside zone run, a wide zone run, and we need the wide receiver, or or we're doing a crack toss and we need the wide receiver to come back in and, and block the end, right? You didn't worry about that. You could go with your regular personnel and run anything out of that because you knew that Mike Thomas could come in and make that block. One of the biggest changes from 2019 to now is assuming that Mike Thomas isn't on the roster next year. Your top two wide receivers in Chris Olave and Rishi Shaheed are at best subpar blockers and it's not because it's not an effort thing per se it's just a size thing it's these are not big bodied wide receivers so you know you want them they'll battle but there's only so much you can ask in terms of Rashid Shahid go block that guy right And, and I think it's a role that you had Keith Kirkwood in and he I don't think he delivered as well as you hoped he would Lynn Bowden was a solid blocker in the sec- yeah, when he got an opportunity, but I think he was limited in terms of how you used him as a wide receiver to the point that he kind of became a tell on offense when he was involved. It was like a majority of the time was going to be a run. So I think to me, finding a blocking wide receiver that can be productive. And, and I think that was the issue with Traquan is like he could block and he did all the dirty work, but he wasn't productive enough as a receiver. Yeah. So it became an issue. So the guy I look at is uh, K.J. Osborne, wide receiver for the Vikings. They've been, been very productive for the Vikings. Nothing crazy, like 40 and 60 catches over the last three, four seasons. He was there in 2021, so, you know, he's a guy who's familiar with Clint Kubiak. And, you know, I wouldn't consider him to be a great blocker, but he's a willing blocker. And, uh, you know, it, it, size-wise, mm, you know, it's it's there's a question there, right? Talking so I 5'11", 203, not huge, but but big enough that you can ask him to go in there and get his nose dirty and, and be aggressive and block a guy. Um, the other guy a lot of people have talked about is Juwan Jennings. I think Juwan Jennings would be a great signing. I just don't think they're going to get the opportunity because he's a restricted free agent. And I'd expect the 49ers to tender him at some level. Now, maybe it's an original round tender. And the Saints can go and sign him, and then the Vikings, I'm sorry, the 49ers can match it. That's how that works. Um, but if they tender him at like a third round or second round, you would have to give up a draft pick to go sign him, and then they could still match it. And I just don't see that happening. So I, I would expect the, the 49ers to make sure they keep him. So I'm not really talking about him, but again, like, but that's the type of receiver I'm looking for is, what do
1: you think about a guy like Hunter Renfro, who's been connected? I know a lot with the saints, but there's the Raiders still haven't let him go yet.
2: I would love Hunter. If Hunter becomes available, I would be hundred percent on board with Hunter Renfro, but he's still not filling that need that I have for a physical blocking wide receiver. So like in the sense of that's why I I'm looking at KJ Osborne. Yeah. That's not what I would be looking at with Hunter Renfro. Now I, I love Hunter. I think he's a very good wide receiver. He's a good locker room guy. I covered him in high school. I know him pretty well. Okay. Um, but it's it's not like like again, like that's that's an addition to the offense I would love, but it's not filling that need that I'm talking about right here.
1: Yeah, I just I would think he's a decent blocker, but I'm right. He's not a huge guy. That's that
2: what he's known for. I I know what you're saying there. So I would I would put it like this he is a willing blocker. Right. There you go. He's something you need. But I don't think that he's a guy that I would say, okay, we really need a block right here. I'm going to Hunter. Yeah. And it's the same thing with Chris. And that's just a, something that you're going to have to navigate. If Chris Olave is your wide receiver one, cause he's just not going to be able to do those, those Michael Thomas things that you became accustomed to. You're going to have to find someone else to fill that role that at least the physicality part of that role. And uh, you know, it, it, uh, the fad compared to was Odell Beckham jr. With the giants, you know, like Odell Beckham jr. Was a supernova with the giants. But he was never your prototypical X. He's smaller. He's shifty. He can get open on a phone booth, and he does a lot of the same things Chris Olave does. He makes these spectacular catches. Got great hands. But you would he'd never be the guy that you would put out a, a you know a, on the edge and say go block that guy, and expect him to you know seal seal the edge. Now he, he will. He's a willing blocker. Again, you want to be a willing blocker, and I think Chris is a willing blocker, but he's not an elite blocker, and that's what I want. Um, so again, KJ Osborne, That's the name I'm looking at. The other one, we've talked about this slot cornerback. There are uh there are two guys that I look at that are potentials. Um they're both undrafted free I'm sorry, they're both unrestricted free agents. So in that sense you can go after them. The the top name on my list this year, assuming that the Saints are not willing to run it back with CJ Gardner-Johnson, which I would assume they're not. Now if they are, great. I would love to see CJ back. But I just don't think it's going to happen. So the next name on my list would be Kenny Moore, cornerback for the Colts. Did a lot of great work in the slot this past season. If if not, I think he might be a he might end up a bit out of their price range. I think that he's going to be probably the top option in the slot corner market, and so he, there there might be a bidding war. And I just don't see the Saints getting involved in a bidding war. It's the slot corner position because if they wanted to overpay at slot corner, they would have CJ. Um, like they don't want to do that. So I think they're going to be, you know, kind of going down that a little bit. So the next guy I would say would be Keyshawn Nixon. He was with the Packers last year. And the reason both of these guys make sense to me is I think you, I think one of the things the saints like when it comes to players that they're looking at in free agency is having gotten a close and up and close up and personal look at these guys and the saints played the Colts. And they played the Packers this past season, so they got kind of and, a good and idea. You had joint practices with the Packers, so yeah, and you had joint practices with the Packers. So I could see both of those guys. Now neither of them are particularly sexy names, although Kenny Moore is a is a pretty well regarded cornerback in the NFL.
1: Well, we don't um, have sexy cap space to deal with either, so
2: <laughs> yeah. So I mean, if yeah, if Kenny Moore ends up getting a huge deal in free agency, then yeah, he's off my list. But a guy like Keyshawn Nixon, I think you do need to go sign a guy who can play in the slot. Assuming that you move on from Marshawn, which I think is going to happen, and you want to shift Alante Taylor outside, I want to bring in a veteran who can play in the slot. I don't think Marcus May can do it. I don't want to ask Tyron to be my full-time slot cornerback. That's a lot for a 33-year-old safety. He can play the slot, and I like that flexibility that he can and he can do that. I like the flexibility that Alante could do that if you needed him to. But I do want to see them go out and find kind of a dedicated slot corner, kind of like you did with Bradley Roby, right? Like, Bradley Roby was probably overpaid in that role and I don't know if you initially brought him in with the idea that he was going to be in that role but he could do it and he did do it when she when CJ was out so like I would like someone who's kind of a tried and true kind of battle-tested guy and both of those Kenny Moore and uh, Keyshawn Nixon would would qualify for me
1: no definitely like the uh, slot corner idea because yeah we we saw it and we've talked about it the the Lante Taylor experiment there has to end. Please do not put him in the slot this season at all. I do not even want to see it in camp.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you if you keep Marshawn, then you might not have a choice. <laughs> no, you're right there. Um, and uh, I I kind of see it as you're deciding between Marshawn and Adebo, right? Because if you are if you're going to stay dedicated to Marshawn over the next several years, then I don't know how you extend Adebo on a big money deal. Um, because then then what are you doing with Alante? I I just, I I do not see this team being dedicated to keeping Alante Taylor in the slot. And maybe they are, maybe I'm misreading it, but I don't think that would be good for Alante and I don't think it would be good for the defense as a whole. Um, So we'll have to see, but that's going to be something. The next step is going to be, okay, what happens with Marshawn? If you do trade him, what can you get back for him? When do you trade him? Do you wait for June 1st and kind of push the assets out to 2025, which is what I would expect? Um, if it did happen, but yeah, that's going to be the big question. But right now, I'm operating as I put this list together. As I'm kind of talking about the needs, I'm operating under the assumption that your outside starting corners next year are Alante Taylor and Paulson Adibo, and that means that you have to do something in the slot.
1: Man, even even if Marshawn's still around, I, I still think that that nickel guy is so key for for the slot just because I feel like we saw Alante wasn't comfortable there, and is not re- is not right for it it's just not the right fit
2: yeah but you i mean do you just not do you just have them ride the bench would would that be better would you be better off that way i don't know um so that's that's where that's where it becomes difficult
1: no that's going to be interesting too
2: because just the fact that i don't
1: know can you really afford to wait till after the draft to make that kind of move yeah you think think so huh i would just i I would just why why would a team be
2: less likely to trade for marshawn after the after the draft i would just think for the saints you'd want to have
1: that all taken care of going into the season before the draft and not have to something like that to deal with afterwards when you just went through
2: the whole draft process. Well, so the issue with that is like from a cap perspective, it would, right, you. I, I, get you, I think right. that's where it's like, yeah, you would love to have an extra pick in this year's draft, but I would also sure. prefer to not have to eat that entire cap bomb this year if I don't have to. <laughs> and Yeah. And I, and I think like you, you might be able to get a better deal after the draft because everyone overvalues. So immediacy is an, is a thing, right? Yeah. Everyone overvalues a draft pick that you're going to make in a month as opposed to a draft pick that you're going to make in 11 months. Right? So from a, in the grand scheme, as long as you're okay with that pick not being this year, I think you could actually get a better asset. Like if you're going to trade for a second round pick in 2025, that would be a third round pick in 2024 because of the immediacy. And you don't know where that's going to land. Like yeah. once the draft order is set, the values change drastically. Maybe it's a top end of the second round pick as opposed to a back end of the second round pick, but you don't know right now. So like you're going it, to, it, it's the forecast of it's a little different, but I don't think that a team would look a team that wants a cover, um uh, an elite cover man cornerback would be like, well, we already drafted a rookie, so we don't want this. We think we can go win a Super Bowl with this guy, but we're gonna stick with this. No, like a team would still be willing to do that. And they might be even more willing because it's it's all in the future. You know, it's all like, oh yeah, we can talk about that next year. So it's, it's like the same principle, it's like the Saints traded up to get an extra pick last year. It cost them significantly more. They made two first round picks. They could have just waited but instead they gave up assets to go make a second pick this year. Cause that the value of that pick is more than the value would have been to wait. Yeah. And I know they're do a whole bunch of
1: compensatory picks and those haven't really become officially final yet, but uh, I, I, what is it like three or four picks? They're picking up that. And that going to get
2: three four, three fifth rounders or something like that.
1: Okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking about getting more ammo for this draft uh, for this team. That's in need of young talent. So, Maybe there's something there. Then at least with getting those compensatory picks, you can package stuff and maybe move up into third or fourth round. I, I know they don't have either one of those right at the moment.
2: Yeah, I, I, that's my biggest expectation in terms of this draft is that the Saints are going to make a pick in the third or fourth round. I don't know exactly how it's going to happen, <laughs> but it will. Right, but it will happen. They they will not go two full rounds without making a draft pick. They might, I, I take it back. They will not go the third and the fourth round without making a draft pick. They might go the fifth, sixth, and Late, seventh right, round without exactly. making a pick. Yeah. <laughs> but they will not, I, I do not see this team standing pat with five, with three fifth round picks and being like, yeah, we're not, we're, we're going to make all these picks. Cause like, I think this team is very aware of the fact that it's like, you don't want to have to cut your draft picks. And so is that, does that make you better? Right?
1: Right. And then so, you end up seeing somebody you you you, you know, brought in for a little bit, took some time to work with, ends up having success somewhere else, I guess can be uh very annoying.
2: <laughs> they would rather make one pick in the third round on a yeah. guy that they they really like than three picks in the fifth round on guys that are just like dart throws. Right. And th- you know, there's there's differing opinions. Some people would say, Hey, I just want to be on the board, I just want to get darts on the board and eventually I'll hit one. But that's not how the Saints operate. And when it goes well, it's great. When it goes well and you end up with uh, Alvin Kamara and uh, Jimmy Graham, like, great. Toronto said great. Then when it's Adam Troutman, eh. yeah. Well, a guy like, what's his uh, move? A.T. Perry was a nice dart at the board. And they traded Adam Troutman to get it. Yeah, right. There you go. Boom. And I I do wonder if how much of that was we like A.T. Perry versus we gotta get rid of Adam. <laughs> we, we can have we have a chance to get rid of Adam and get an asset out of it. Let's do that. Uh, send it because I think Adam Troutman was only getting traded to the Broncos. <laughs> no one else is trading for Adam Troutman. <laughs> um, so yeah, and and now that pick has worked out well. And that's a good example of like, are you looking at a Marcus Colston, like Zach Streif? These are seventh round picks that if you never made those picks, you wouldn't have those guys. So there is value in just having picks that you can throw at the board. Right. Uh, So yeah, you can argue against it, but I think recent history has told you how the Saints land, but all right, this is, this is a conversation we can have as we go forward. We've been on here forever. So let's wrap up this podcast. I know Steve has to go finish Reacher. I'm getting caught up. Yep. Yep. See all the gratuitous violence that, amazon prime can provide in a in 45 hour segments
1: my wife it's funny you brought up the gratuitous violence she, my wife wanted to know what's gotten into me i'm i've caught up now with john wick and now i'm catching up with reacher so <laughs> yeah i'm just about just sense just constant murder everywhere it's, it's <laughs> great crazy
2: <laughs> these streaming services man that's how they're catching up this is like body counts <sighs> let's get big guys beating people up and reacher Please is somebody. big Yes, and and I just and you texted me the other day that he auditioned for American Idol, which I did not even know, but he did. I watched it; it was okay.
1: Right, definitely a big dude then, but not as uh, yeah. The, the steroids,
2: the steroids hadn't com- hit hit yet. You know, they the, they were in the mail. Yes. <laughs> uh. Gosh, yep. Alan Ritson, in, in, in case someone's listening and wondering who the hell we're talking about. It's Alan Ritson, not Tom Cruise. I don't think, I don't know if Tom Cruise has ever been on steroids, but they weren't they weren't particularly effective if he was.
1: No, that's like Jake Hayner taking steroids to me. What are you doing?
2: <laughs> <sighs> great, tra- great, great, great segue. Great transition. Uh, Snake to Jake. Is that how that goes? Jake, Jake to Snake. The Span- anyway. yeah. yeah, something All like right. that. All right. Good stuff. Long podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He is Steve Geller. He's got to go head out downtown and host sports talk. Good stuff. Call in. Uh, let Steve know that you disagree with him on every one of his opinions. <laughs> and, and he'll appreciate it. I appreciate it when people call in and tell me I'm dumb. Um, and I just like to talk. That's what it's for, man. That's what we do. And now we need you more than
1: ever to call in because... It's the dead season.
2: <laughs> we got nothing. We got nothing. There's a reason we came on here talking about Jimmy Graham rowing across the Arctic. And it's not because we're super invested in Jimmy Graham's rowing across the Arctic. It's because we needed something to talk about. <laughs> yeah,
1: right now it's like, shoot, we're getting like pre combine ready. It's like, ah, uh, wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm, at least I'm from the Saints
2: at perspective. Reports. At least from the Saints perspective, right? Like we could talk about LSU stuff, but not on this podcast. <laughs> like that's no right, one here like, hey, man, this is and black and gold. Yeah. I mean, they have gold technically but yeah that's a that's a different podcast go listen to that podcast that's all right spin off right yes all right thanks everyone for listening Who dat go saints talk to you later peace out